Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the ESG Decoded podcast. I'm your co-host today, Amanda Shea, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Mark Held. He is the CEO of Fishtail and a serial entrepreneur with a focus on advanced AI and IoT for the supply chain industry. Mark has successfully founded, funded, and sold multiple companies, delivering real value to Fortune 500 clients, investors, and acquirers. Mark, Thank you for being on our podcast today. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about Fishtail. Sure, sure. So uh, just as a, a, a two-second background uh, on, on me, which kind of leads into, into Fishtail, um, so, so you know, I'm, I'm an engineer by trade. As you mentioned, I've done a, you know, a couple of things in the supply chain space, um, but uh, having spent time in the world of, of supply chain and intimately kind of understanding the the impact of working capital and finance in the world of inventory, you know, you, you start to notice a lot of issues that traditional financial institutions don't seem to want to touch simply because it's generally very expensive and complicated. Uh, so a financial institution, you know, will, will be very happy to fund invoices, happy to fund inventory. But when it comes to the actual working capital to deliver against purchase orders, Banks don't generally like to do it, uh, and so what Fishtail does is, is you know, we 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 take a bunch of supply chain data and we start to make predictions about what's going to happen so that we can underwrite these transactions. And so, just as a as a, like a trade finance one hundred and one, uh, I think the, the 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 use case that we tend to to, to love is, um, let's say I'm P and G, and Walmart says, hey, I want ten thousand cases of shampoo. Right, P and G's got to spend the money to buy the raw materials. They got to make the stuff. They got to ship the stuff, and eventually, you know, a month or two after the order happens, the product will arrive. They can issue the invoice, and then after they've issued the invoice to Walmart, they have to wait 120 days, 180 days. And these days, terms are getting longer and longer uh, all the time. And so, usually, when people are talking about trade finance, they're usually talking about the funding of that whole entire transaction. Generally, they're talking about that 120-day period. What makes Fishtail special is that we will fund at the, at the purchase order level, uh, and that's kind of just taking into account all of the supply chain data that, that we have because we want to predict the likelihood that you know shipment's not going to get stuck in customs, the likelihood that the manufacturer is going to be even able to deliver against the stuff. And that also ties really, really well into the world of ESG because if you can make predictions about what's going to happen, there's some really interesting things you can do to actually incentivize behavior and you know, happy to go go through that now or go through that uh, later. Totally, totally up to you. I definitely want to. I want to dig into to every all all the above. <laughs> There's so much to I'm unpack sorry. here. Sorry, a lot all at once. I'm a huge no. nerd, so it just happens. <laughs> no, so much to go through. Let's let's maybe we can start from a little bit more on the finance side. Mm -hmm. And there's, as you mentioned, can be a long time between the time that you're a, a company is buying those raw materials and by the time they get paid uh, months and months and months mm -hmm. and i understand let's say an, an example you're giving maybe pg is a larger company sure. they have access to banks and other fi traditional financing mm -hmm. is what about smaller businesses what about medium sized what about maybe you know 
the ones that don't have that type of access to or that type of cash mm-hmm. in their coffers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so in the world of trade finance, like the most of demand that is not met is all of these small businesses. I mean, who's going to say no to giving money to PNG? Like they're going to pay, they're going to pay back. It's just going to happen. Is what they do. They're big. They've got the money. Uh, but when it's you start going down the stack to you know smaller businesses that aren't PNG, I, mean, I really just use PNG. I love PNG. I've done a lot of work with them. They're great, fantastic humans. Uh, everybody knows them. It's just, you know, no one's going to know like my importer business or, you know, Bob, the, you know, seafood purveyor, like it's just a harder story to tell. Um, And so, so the big guys can get the money because the banks are just super comfortable giving the big guys money. And so I think something like 50% of all trade finance rejections are really to, to the small businesses. And that's just because the banks, again, like have a really hard time doing stuff when they're not writing big checks. I mean, if you, if you kind of peel back the, 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 the onion, um, like the financial institutions are, are inherently incentivized to want to write like $30 million plus checks. Like they want to write the big check. They want to do, this is going to sound bad. They're going to want to do as little work as possible to get that $30, $30 million check out there. Um, you know, if, if I'm a bank, I'm much happier to give $30 million to P&G versus, you know, Jennifer, the importer. Like it, it just is a... It's the same amount of work exactly. for either $30 million or I'm going to say an example, $3 million, right? Or, or, or even 300000 Yeah. Right. So the same amount of work. So I'd rather do the $30 million. Exactly. Yeah. And so that inherently creates a lot of, 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 we call it the trade finance gap. It just creates all mm-hmm. of these weird little things where people who need the money that are traditionally like perfectly great businesses to, to give money to, it's just the checks that these banks are, 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 are writing just aren't necessarily mm-hmm. worth the risk. And I say worth in quotations just because yeah. it's, you know, it's very much worth the effort. It's just You got to spend the, the, the time to do the document digitization. You got to look at all the incorporation docs. It's just a lot of work. Um, and so, so that leads to this $2 trillion gap in trade finance. I think that's, this was pre-COVID. Now, post-COVID, it's probably three or $4 trillion, like huge, huge gaps. Because uh, again, just the, the industry is not incentivized to service the SME players. Um, and I think, you know, when you start to look at even other countries, other jurisdictions than the traditional, you know, I hate this term, but like developed markets, like there is way more interesting stuff going on outside of the U.S., outside of Europe that creates, you know, opportunities for cash flow to kind of get put to work, opportunities for jobs to be created. Um, I think it's a completely underserved, underserved thing. And, you know, by, by the default, part of the stuff that, that Fishtail does is, you know, we're completely, you know, we don't really care if it's P&G that needs money. We don't really care if it's, you know, John the you know, freight forwarder that needs money. Like for us, it's the same amount of effort to fund a $30,000 transaction as a $30 million transaction. And so we just want to keep it so that we're as equitable as possible. And in fact, there's a, you know, there's an S component in ESG for a lot of the stuff that we're doing. And I'd be happy to dive in yeah. to, to what that yeah. means at, at some point. I would love to hear that because I, I, I want to make the jump now. Now we have at least a basic understanding of what is trade financing, sure. very one-on-one, but at least we have a basic understanding of it. How does that connect with ESG? 
Yeah. So, so, you know, being a, a quantified self guy, being a nerd, like for me, I like to quantify as many things as I can. Um, and so inherently that means that we tend to skew a little bit S in the ESG. Um, and so, so we, we have some internal products where we predict the CO2 emissions for everything that moves. And we can use that as a mechanism to change the interest rate of financing. Cause you know, believe it or not, you might have two ships that are going the same route from point A to point B. One will emit easily four times as much CO2 as the next. And it's purely a function of, you know, the age of the ship, the route is taking, how full the ship is, what fuel they're using, when were they last, you know, tuned up. Uh, so there's a lot of factors that go into this true CO2 emission for that mode of transportation. Uh, and that's also, you know, not to mention, you know, boats versus planes versus trucks versus trains. Like there's a bunch of ways to get stuff from point A to point B. And so uh, we, we kind of nerd out and, and predict what's going to happen and use that to kind of incentivize behavior. Granted, you know, Right now, we're at the phase where, you know, we don't enforce everybody to do it, but we have pools of capital that are incentivized for this kind of, of, of funding. So just as a, a, another tidbit, Fishtail behind the scenes is a market maker connecting pools of capital and, and pools of, of demand. So when people come to us and they want money, it's really not Fishtail that's giving them the money. We're just facilitating that transaction. And then we have people that want to be investing in ESG. Uh, so, so what we're doing is turning e trade finance into an ESG investable asset class. And there's all sorts of stuff around that. But uh, that's really just from the lens of E. There's also a lot of really great things that exist in the world of S and G in the world of trade finance. So, so you know, the S side, you start to deal with social things, and you start to deal with you know what, how well do I pay my employees? It's, there's a lot of S means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. E means a lot of different things to a lot of people. So, like, we're not going to try to be a standard. We're not going to try to do any of that stuff. We just kind of rely on the fact that a lot of the businesses that we tend to fund tend to be smaller, and so for for us. The, the businesses that, that we, you know, see a lot of transactional volume with can't really get money elsewhere. Uh, and so we're, we're not trying to be loan sharks. I guess we're kind of loan minnows or guppies where we're just trying to be good and, you know, help people get the working capital that they need. Uh, I mean, in fact, we see this time and time again where, you know, businesses that will start borrowing from, from our platform will, you know, be healthy businesses. They'll be small, but healthy. And then very quickly, they'll double, triple, quadruple in size just because they have the working capital that they need and then start hiring more people. And it's this really interesting virtuous cycle. I mean, at, you know, at the end of the day, the lifeblood of any business is cash. And when you're not tying up your own cash, trying to fulfill your orders, you can do really good things. You can hire more people, you can pay people well, you can like make more money. And so I think there's nothing wrong with being a, you know, a capitalist, I think there's plenty of opportunities to make a boatload of money while doing good. Uh, and in fact, we're actually trying to turn, you know, this whole global warming thing into this weird, uh, you know, judo mind trick where we're trying to generate good returns while doing good um, and turning it into kind of this weird capitalist nightmare. So, um, no, no, that's that's capitalism at work. We are mm -hmm. um, big believers in market-based solutions and using the markets to, um, yeah, give signals and incentivize more sustainable behavior. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I, I know people will be wondering their head is, well, how accurate are these um, 
greenhouse gas emission predictions on these ships. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I'm not asking for like, oh, it's 99% or anything, but, but sure. how do you try to improve or make sure it's the highest quality um, data and, and highest accuracy possible? Yeah. Accuracy so, possible? so that, that is a great question. Um, I think, I think unless you can get like true emission capture to measure what's going on, it's all going to be just predictions, predictions, predictions. And really yeah. at the end of the day, it's who's, whose model are you going to trust? Is it, you know, average of averages or is it looking at real world data and, you know, starting to, to, to break down? I think a lot of the, the state of the art in emissions for transportation is really just based off of averages of averages. I think it's you know, back in the 70s or 80s, there was some Navy study and that seems to be what people glom onto. And like, it's great but it is nowhere near good enough. Um, And so I think the issue that the industry will have is like, at what point is accuracy more important than precision or precision less accurate, less important than than accuracy. And and really the, the distinction there is like, do I need to know exactly how much CO2 was emitted or is a good enough amount that I'm fairly confident in with kind of bands of, of, of accuracy, like the, the way that we're going to make this happen. And so I think mm-hmm. people who, who want to know exactly this many tons of CO2 or CO2 equivalent units, uh, like, I think that's just a, you know, an uphill battle. You'll end up with people that are just you know, running around in circles. So, so I, I personally, I'm not a big fan of precision. I'm more interested in accuracy, but I think it's really up to the market to decide, you know, what do I care about? And that brings into whole weird market dynamics of these, uh, what is it? The, the the carbon offsets and whatnot. At what point does you know? Does, do I really need to be precise because I'm 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 literally paying for these offsets? So so yeah. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see as there's carbon pricing right mm-hmm. and around the world, and that it, we'll see what happens with that. Um, Ooh, uh, also, not to cut you off. Uh, one thing I, I I forgot to mention. Literally did cut you off. I apologize. Uh, yeah. One thing that 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 I, I should mention is that we we do a lot of our, our of our CO two emission analysis based off of raw ground truth data. So we get a lot of information about fuel. We get a lot of information about ocean currents. We get a lot of information about you know things that would impact fuel consumption, and that's what enables us to do these estimations and predictions. Um, so we we try to be good, but. It's okay not to be perfect. So, sorry, please. I, no, I uh, get, I get it. I, I'm like, don't sacrifice the good for perfect. You know, and mm-hmm. in the end, what we're trying to, what you're trying to incentivize is, is more sustainable decisions. And mm-hmm. the main thing is with the, within a, you know, acceptable, acceptable margin of, you know, of error. You know, is this relative ship a relatively more you know, have a lower carbon intensity than than ship B with you know that the confidence level. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and think I that, sorry, go go ahead. No, go ahead. I think the interesting the interesting thing is is not only on the per transaction level, but can you actually can you actually get people to redesign their supply chains such that they're actually not transporting as much that they're manufacturing in mechanism? I mean, we can already point to to one use case of, of our of our borrowers. They've completely redesigned their supply chains just so that they can get a better interest rate. Uh, Granted, you know, the, the inventory that they're moving is relatively expensive. So like a small difference of interest rate has a relatively sizable impact from from the perspective of interest. But uh, 
Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see as more of these market-based forces start getting applied to to the space. You know, how does how does behavior change? And I, you know, the carbon offset story is also really interesting because uh, it turns out when you put money in things, people get really excited. <laughs> I think the other thing that it's all happening kind of once at once is also the um, fairly recent um, international maritime organization, IMO, mm -hmm. um, they announced their strategy on the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions sure. from ships. And just for our listeners who are shipping is somewhere estimated to be around 3% of global um, greenhouse gas emissions, more than air travel as kind of a relative example, um, less than food waste, surprisingly, but it's kind of all timely as the IMO is looking at how can we decarbonize shipping around the world um, from a policy perspective. It's interesting to talk to you from looking at for like kind of a, a business perspective from market-based, you know, how can we incentivize similar behavior, but using a, a different uh, tool, maybe a different <laughs> way. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a super loaded kind of area. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, anytime, anytime policy and like transportation come together, you, you end up in hell. Um, I, I think until there, there is truly some sort of market solution that's going to force behavior to change, like policies, not, I would argue the way to, to, to do it. Um, at least until you, you kind of, God, the maritime, the maritime world, is so concentrated and they do a great job, but they get stuff from point A to point B. Um, and a lot of the, the shipping lines are starting to invest in novel fuel and, you know, uh, knock scrubber, sock scrubbers, like really like good tech. But until you can really force someone to make the, 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 the decision, like, of, of investing in new infrastructure in new stuff is just a, a super uphill battle. And I think the only way that happens is if you get the customers of the shipping lines to actually want the change to happen. Cause like the policy makers, like God knows I love them to death. It's just the, the, the shipping lines have too much sway uh, of, of policy people. Um, it's like everything has to come together around the same time, approximately yeah. the same time, right, yeah. to make this happen, whether it's it's policy, right, the, the actual technology, whether that's the hardware or software, the financing, mm -hmm. um, the kind of infrastructure to do it all. Um, anyway, and the market, it all has to come together. I think that's the challenge with, with um, a lot of big problems like climate change yeah. is like getting all the kind of us coordinated in a way to make it happen all at once. And, 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 and not to, to like do myself a disservice, but there was even some study recently that was in science that uh, apparently all of the work that has been going on in the reduction of sulfur and, you know, all of these mm -hmm. other emitted particle particulate in the maritime world is having a negative impact from a, gar uh, a greenhouse gas effect because a lot of the particulate matter is just ends up in the atmosphere and it effectively ends up as shielding. So like we've seen over the past few years, like, this is going to sound really bad. So I think there's still a lot of research that needs to happen in this, but it just yeah. like it happened literally weeks ago where this paper came out um, that we, we, we see a uh, warming effect based off of the reduction of some of this particulate matter. Um, so who, it'll be interesting to see, you know, where, where that ends up. We'll have to see where all that ends up, where the science ends up. But these are the same also particles that, if you're in the area of the high concentration, right, it's unhealthy for, mm -hmm. for yeah for humans and other life as well. So there's it's complex, let's say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like an, another thing, like 
God, I, I, I have a huge amount of respect for people who, who like tow rules occasionally. I mean, you remember back in, in you know, deep COVID times where, where all of these ships were just kind of sitting and waiting off the port of LA. Yes. I mean, there, there was crazy emission stuff going on over there. And like, it was very funny to watch from the sidelines, you know, day after day, the, the rules of what, what, what it meant to actually be idling Oh, oh is gosh. to just kind of get pushed out. So I, I, I don't know. There's yeah. people just need There's... to start yelling at each other more. <laughs> <laughs> but so let's dig into. I wanted to make sure we we talk about another part of the the, the business model too. Is mm-hmm. that by build, bring transparency right to the the carbon intensity of these shipments and these mm-hmm. ships, and then the second part of it is incentivizing that behavior mm-hmm. where. Again, we talked about trade finance, but that potentially the borrower could have a lower interest rate by selecting exactly. The- mm-hmm. 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 So, so um, as I was mentioning earlier, I mean, you've you, you've got two these two ships that are going the same same route from point A to point B, uh, and so we'll, we will score both of the the potential voyages plus the global ways to get from point A to point B. So we'll look at planes, we'll look at trains, we'll look at multiple modes. You know, is it a direct shipment? Is it a trans shipment? Meaning, you know, does it start in China and go to Singapore and then go to LA? Or is it going directly from, you know, Shenzhen to LA? Like those are two different things. There's just a a bajillion different permutations or combinations of of getting things from point A to point B. Uh, And then we either depending on the capital provider create performance penalties or performance kickers so we may have the base interest rate on the 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 financing based on the credit risk and performance risk and then we'll either you know make you happy by giving you less interest if you're picking a thing or if you're picking a particularly bad way to get from point a to point b we'll 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 tack on a little bit of, uh, of interest and so from that perspective we're able to like literally put a dollar value on the emissions of an individual shipment. Granted, like this is just the transportation side. We're not looking at, you know, the manufacturing. We're not looking at the energy usage at the the plants. So I think, you know, someone at some point will probably need to glom all of these things together. Uh, it's just we come from transportation, so it's a little bit easier for us to kind of incentivize behavior um, when you're actively deciding how to get something from somewhere. We just have a few minutes left, but talking about glomming everything together, tell me uh, more about the Sustainable Supply Chain Leaders Association. Yes, <laughs> that's good. Uh, so so uh, one of the things that we've seen um, just being an industry is that we there's a lot of different ways to measure what it means to be sustainable. I mean, from the perspective of a shipping line, sustainability means one thing. From the perspective of a terminal operator, it means another thing. From the perspective of, you know, uh, Importer, from the perspective of cocoa producer, they, they all means different things. Uh, and, and, you know, as a supply chain practitioner, it drives me nuts when people start to regulate things that they don't necessarily understand. Uh, and so what we started to do is create this consortium of industry stakeholders ranging from, you know, shipping lines to manufacturers to, you know, seafood companies as a mechanism to bring folks together to define how they want to be measured and then we go to the policymakers and you know provide our input so that we can actually you know decide how we want to be you know m- measured and and penalized um, just because I think 
you know, coming from the perspective of just pure policy, you create weird misincentives. Um, so I, I would rather be be told how I'm going to be measured from a place of science. I know I get it. I think it's it's important to have all all different stakeholders, right, giving input mm-hmm. and feedback and ma- trying to reduce those unintended consequences. Um, of, yeah, and, of, and yeah. we've got some pretty interesting partners. I mean, ranging from uh, data providers in the industry to again seafood companies. So so we're casting a very wide net and just trying to find folks who are impacted in any way, shape, or reform by supply chain. Um, and so, so right now we're, we're mostly in, in kind of the phase where we just have to gather more and more of these folks. Uh, and then over the next year or so, we'll be pushing out this stuff. So, you know, if, if, if you or, or your listeners or, or anybody that, uh, you know, is, is, is listening to us right now uh, is interested to, to, to learn more, we're just at the sscla.org, that's Sustainable Supply Chain Leadership Association. Um, you know, we're, we're fairly active and, and love to you know, talk at, talk at each other. (laughs) (laughs) We'll put that link in our, in our show notes too. So it's easy for folks to find the association and and get involved in that conversation. I know what you mean. That's the convening stage. So if people want to be part of the gathering, this is a time to like raise your hand and and sign up. (laughs) Mark, we just, I think we need to probably wrap it up, but if there's kind of like one last thing that you want to leave for our listeners, what would you say that is? Um, I think hope is not lost. You know, the world is on fire. And I think that we have a really interesting opportunity to leverage capitalism for what it's good at, which is kind of extracting value. Uh, And so I think if you get enough people in a room that are really smart, that can, you know, use capitalism to to actually create behavior change in a meaningful way, it's it's going to be okay. I mean, granted, you know, there's probably a lot of technology that needs to get developed from a global perspective in order for us to, you know, get anywhere meaningful in, you know, 20, 30 years. But at least right now, like, I don't think we need to be sitting and waiting on the sidelines for everyone to tell us, you know, what we need to be doing. Like us as humanity, it's our imperative because, I mean, frankly, in a hundred years, our money's going to be, you know, worthless if there's nothing you know, to, 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 to exist on. So, you know, I, I, I am all for forward thinking, but making money in the short and medium term. So, um, yeah, hope is not lost. Mark, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Thank this you, Amanda. Great. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>